Guys, I'm so upset with you right now because I am so lonely in many, many ways. Andrew's not here. I'm the only one of us who's not, like, getting married. Like, my life sucks right now. Let's see. By the way, congrats on the engagement. To be perfectly fair, Artem and I are not getting married anytime soon either. Hey, you uh, never know. Accidents happen. <laughs> Do you want to let us in on something, Artem? Not legally. <laughs> okay, nothing planned for the near future. And by the way, good news to Andrew. Uh, congrats on your engagement. Blah, 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 blah. Don't you feel special? I mean, I mean to be fair, that's kind of how I feel about it too. So... Well, I mean, what I'm... Well, congrats to Elizabeth. Yes. <laughs> what I'm really upset about is y'all went to Asheville without me, and I feel left out, okay? And now I'm just sitting here and alone in my room stewing. It's frustrating. I'm alone, guys! Okay, so this is College Football Podcast. Welcome back to the Toe Meets Leather Podcast. And I'm Logan, uh... Of course, we've got Andrew, Artem, and Tommy with us today because we're talking about the big one, the SEC. So I didn't really do any research, so I'm just going to let these three guys across the way uh, talk it out. Um, going to go down the list in the east and work our way up to the top uh, in our opinions. So, Andrew, we're going to start with you. I'm assuming... Vandy is the worst team in the conference, but maybe you can tell me otherwise. I mean, they have made some great strides in their defensive secondary over the past few years. Uh, they've been on the cusp of kind of breaking out from just being a bowl-eligible team. Should we expect them to potentially beat out some teams like UF or Tennessee this year? I mean, it's possible. Vanderbilt last year definitely learned the lesson of just because you're 3-0 and and haven't really beat anybody any good, you probably shouldn't run your mouth at Alabama. <laughs> I think they learned that lesson. But, yes, Derek Mason's rebuilt that defense, which is really what he's known for. They lost a ton on that defense, so it'll be interesting to see who they look to try to replace. Kyle Shermer's coming back, who put up decent numbers. You know, 26 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, which it's at Vandy. The schedule toughens up a little bit. You know, they open at a Middle Tennessee State team. that They, they kind of handled last year, but Middle's usually pretty good. They have to go to Notre Dame, which I don't really like out of for them. They go to Arkansas, which I don't like. Uh, I mean, I don't see a bowl game, but they have made some strides somewhat in the right direction. Vanderbilt's just always going to be a really tough place to win. I mean, that's a fair point to make. I mean, you're just going to get out-recruited. Even on a down year, I think they got out-recruited by Tennessee. Is that right? Um... Yeah, uh, Vanderbilt, much like, uh, you know, Vandy to me is interesting because I don't know why, and they did try this because Derek Mason is a Stanford guy. He spent time with David Shaw. He spent time with the hard-bought Stanford. So they really went to that well to say, these guys could win at Stanford. Why can't we do this at Vanderbilt? And so that's what's really been kind of interesting is they haven't been able to turn anything into the kind of recruiting success that a place like Stanford has had. Even even Duke, who, is, who has actually gotten a lot better recruiting-wise under David Cutcliffe as well. But Vandy still kind of struggles at that recruiting. I don't know if it's just it's tougher to do that at a national level for a school like Vanderbilt, which doesn't really make sense because they're you know, a really good private school in Nashville, which is a great town. But, you know, they Stanford would be their model, but they're kind of trying it right now and only had a – mediocre amount of success i mean it's kind of fascinating when you look at it i think that 
the school does clearly get a bit of little brother syndrome. And I think the anytime you're dealing with a school with it's a private school or it's got higher education standards, it becomes a little harder to recruit. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's kind of what we were expecting. Vandy is viewed as the perennial worst team. So pretty easy to start there and get them knocked out of the way. Uh, you think they're going to get maybe four or five wins this year? Um, you know, I feel like with adding Notre Dame as the non-conference, they went five and seven last year. Four of those wins being out of conference. They only had one conference win last year, and that was at Tennessee. I, you know, the schedule toughens up, so I just don't know if I, I see it there. All right. Well, moving on up. So another interesting team that's kind of got its own state to itself, better known for being a basketball school, uh, Kentucky. Artem, what do you want to tell us about Kentucky this year? Are they finally going to beat UF? No, I don't think this, this is their year. Um, they have a tough schedule. Um, if you look at who they're playing, they start off a little bit easy, with, with, or so they think, against Central Michigan, but I think that's going to be a trap game for them. Uh, it is at home, however. Um, then they play Florida right out the bat. I don't think that's enough time for them because right now they're locked in a quarterback competition with Hoke and Terry Wilson. Some One of the two of them is going to win the, um, the starting job. Uh, but it's not looking good. Uh, they don't have a quarterback on their roster that has taken any game snaps within the last three years. Uh, they got two redshirt freshmen and two sophomores, and last year they had two guys who were seniors and they're gone, uh, and a wide receiver throw. Nobody else threw. So they're going to have to rely on Benny Snell, who's a you know number one or first round uh, pick, supposedly in a lot of people's minds. Uh, their senior tight end. Uh, C.J. Conrad, who's had a couple years there, but he hasn't caught more than four touchdowns in a season, not more than 30 passes. You know, it's going to be tough, even though uh, the only the only thing they can uh, kind of rely on is the fact that their defensive line is, uh, excuse me, their offensive line um, is, is pretty deep, and it's seniors or juniors pretty much across the board. Um, they do have a lot of depth, and Mark Stoops is a defensive-minded coach, but I think uh, Florida's going to be a little bit better this year. Um, with that new head coach they got down there, that we'll talk about later. Uh, I think they're going to they're going to run the ball all over Kentucky. You know, they might be able to hang on for about a half, but I just don't see it lasting very well. Second game into the season, um, an experienced quarterback against Florida defense, which doesn't look good. Um, and then starting off at best one one two one, you're heading into Mississippi, South Carolina, A and M. Um, and the rest of the ACC gauntlet. They don't play another uh, non-SEC school until November where they play Mid-Tennessee and Louisville, which could be their wins 3-4 or maybe 4-5. Um, I don't think they're going to make a bowl game this year, unfortunately, but um, with the depth they have and the amount of reps some of their underclassmen may get, I could see them breaking the 8-9 uh, column next season. Oh, really? Okay, so you're, you're thinking this is going to be a build-up year for them is it really – so you hit on the quarterback over and over and over again. So it, you don't have any faith in their run game? You don't have a lot of faith in their defense? Or is it just about the quarterback issue that scares you? Uh, it scares me that last year they were a school to be afraid of, and now they don't have a quarterback on on their roster 
and uh, the guy, one of the guys that's kind of looking for breakout snaps is the guy that came in last year's class. So um, I think it's going to be tough for them to play in a conference where you play Georgia, who has a good defense. You play Florida, who has a good defense. South Carolina, Vandy, um, and you got a defensive-minded head coach in Tennessee. I just don't see them uh, giving that quarterback a lot of uh, uh, a lot of leeway. And you do have Benny Snell, and that guy can carry you for you know about a half. But once they figure out that the quarterback can't throw as well, and they go to man coverage and start blitzing this guy, I, I just think they can be in, in his face the whole time if he doesn't have enough game experience to whoever he is. They have nobody who has any game experience. All right. Yeah, so just not optimistic about the youth. Well, you did bring up UF quite a few times, though. And, uh, Tommy, you're next on the list to talk about the Gators. They've got a new coach. They've got – they've been really down, I think, since uh, – obviously Florida was really hoping this uh, that they'd get back to use the uh, old Saban uh, droppies to kind of get back up to a – powerhouse program instead they've seen georgia develop into what they they wanted to be so why don't you tell us tommy what should your expectations be in this first year uh well the great alum or the alumni of the great year sinus college dan mullen is back in gainesville um those uh florida faithful and actually people who hate florida will probably remember him as the offensive coordinator who coached tim tebow uh, at Florida, so uh, definitely back at, at a, a more hometown feel for him since uh, his uh, alma mater does not offer football, so uh, no worries there about him leaving. But uh, Florida looks to be in an interesting year. Uh, anytime you've got a coaching change, it's really hard to put expectations really high. Um, but overall, I think Florida has a pretty good chance of having a good year. Um, kind of looking up and down the roster, some of the interesting things to look at um, is that they've got a pretty deep backfield. Uh, so when you look at their running backs, uh, they've got two juniors in uh, Jordan Scarlett and Michael Pirine, who are both uh, high-caliber backs. It looks like Scarlett's going to be feature back. Um, if they If they run him enough, um, he could probably reach a thousand yards uh, this year, but um, they also have uh, Adarius Lemons as a sophomore uh, back there too. So if they really want to kind of manage injuries, and if they're not, um, you know, in really tight games, or um, if their their passing game is working well, um, you may not see him get enough. Um, carries to actually reach that thousand yard mark but it's nice to have that kind of depth um and know that a a next man up mentality uh is good uh they've got two receivers uh in tyree cleveland and Kadarius tony uh that are really really talented but both of them i think spent a lot of last year being uh injured um and then also van jefferson uh who transferred from ole miss after the whole hugh freeze debacle was actually uh, cleared to play two days ago um, for this year uh, with a potential transfer violation, but because of Hugh Freeze getting fired, um, they gave him the hardship waiver. Um, they also have Trevin Grimes, who came from Ohio State. Um, that Having those four guys available to them could really open up the game and give them a chance. Um, 
their offensive line returns all five starters. Uh, their left tackle, Marte, uh, Martez Ivy, uh, is a potential uh, NFL draft pick. Um, I don't look at him being you know, a first or second round guy, but he's definitely somebody who could end up having an NFL career. Um, the rest of Florida, well, if you paid attention last year, they struggled a little bit on the offensive line, but hopefully all the experience will come back well for them. Um, also, with Dan Mullen being an offensive guy, um, look for them to be a lot of focus there um, to try to score a lot of points because, as Dan Mullen actually said, this is a place where people like scoring points. Um, on the defensive side, uh, interesting fun fact, uh, this is the first time they don't have a top 15 defense since 2007. Uh, so... Uh, definitely some rebuilding from Florida standards. That being said, uh, Todd Grantham uh, definitely is a good defensive guy. They've got uh, solid guys up and down the line, um, and they've got a couple cornerbacks which are absolute lockdown monsters. Um, so overall, they've got a lot of talent. The biggest thing will be how do they weather the transition? How do they get up and running uh, as quickly as possible? Um, the best thing is their first two games are Charleston Southern and Colorado State. Uh, so two games to kind of get themselves in the field, lock down systems, uh, figure out their depth chart, and solidify kind of what their strategy is uh, before they start hitting Mississippi State, which should be a real test for this team. Um, overall, I think going um, – I, I mean, straight off the bat, you've got Charleston Southern, Colorado State, Idaho – um, and then probably Kentucky and Vanderbilt are all games that Florida should win. So there's five right there. Um, and Georgia is really the only team, and maybe Mississippi, Georgia's the only team I don't see them beating. Um, and then as far as being favored, um, you can probably flip a coin in a couple there. So I, I, there's definitely a good chance for them to get 10 wins, but uh, it's hard to kind of make that prediction uh, with all the changes that they have going on. Well, I really want to ask you something, but then you, you kind of hit on like everything. <laughs> so you're not giving me a lot to do, Tommy. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess for me, I'm curious to see you're obviously a lot higher on them considering they've got a first year coach. I, I feel like you're giving them a lot of credit over some of these lower teams, but at the same time, there are a lot of teams that are going to be having down years and have come off of very confusing and unusual situations. Speaking of which, Andrew, yeah, <laughs> we talked about this a little before the uh, cast started, but do you want to tell us about Tennessee? Because if you don't want to tell us about Tennessee, we can find something else to talk about. Yeah, it was an exciting offseason for the volunteers. <laughs> with a coaching search that saw a number of fun, somewhat insane shenanigans. They ended up settling on Jeremy Pruitt, Nick Saban guy, spent some time. Stevens coordinator at Alabama, Florida State at Georgia, kind of bounced around a little bit, you know, stepping into his first head coaching job, which, again, it's it's just another team in the SEC chasing and trying to be Nick Saban. You know, I think Pruitt's actually a pretty good hire, though, because he's especially a very strong defensive coach, which Tennessee struggled. I mean, Tennessee struggled pretty much across the board last year. 
But they've got a decent amount of talent coming back on defense, including a great safety by the name of Nigel Warrior. Because who doesn't want a safety named Warrior? Oh, I thought you were going to say Nigel. Okay. <laughs> no, that's not nearly as exciting. I mean, maybe, I guess. I don't know. Their biggest question is going to be at quarterback. They played musical quarterbacks last year and struggled. They bring in Keller Christ, the Stanford transfer, who was, I believe, a pretty highly rated kid coming out of high school, never really put it together at Stanford. So he's going to really have a chance to compete with Jared Guarantano, who played a good bit last year. You know, four touchdowns, two interceptions, didn't, you know, threw the ball a little bit, but Tennessee had so many games where they were behind or struggled, they really didn't get a chance to see much out of him. Plus, they played musical quarterbacks, which isn't really going to do you any good. There is some talent. Marquez Callaway, Brandon Johnson, the wide receiver, Trey Smith, the sophomore at left tackle is definitely a name to keep in your head as the years go by. I think he's going to be a guy who has a shot to go pretty high in the NFL. They put a, a lot of stock in you know big tackles, and he's a guy that's got some athleticism and, and some good feet and some good hands. Uh, in terms of looking at their schedule, <laughs> they've got a three-game stretch where they go at Georgia, at Auburn, Alabama, at South Carolina. Yeah, that's not going to be fun. It's not... going to be a rough, rough time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, you know, we don't like to make too many bad assumptions, but I think uh, Tennessee fans need to prepare their anuses, uh this year because it's not going to end well for them yeah you know tennessee is a school that again recruits really well i think is a big part of it so they should always have talent to be somewhat competitive the thing about it is georgia becoming the big program in that division and really kind of having a chance with tennessee being down and florida being down to really take that division by the balls and i think that's going to kind of hurt tennessee and in trying to get a fast rebuild. And like I said, their schedule is just, just rough with Auburn and Alabama from the other side who are going to be pretty good teams. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not going to be easy for them, but I don't think anybody's expecting it to be. So this might be an interesting year for a rebuild. All right, well, speaking of a team, I don't know what to say. Artem, you're really excited about this new interstate a rivalry situation that you've got with South Carolina. Why don't you give us a little bit of more information about the Gamecocks? Well, uh, they definitely have an interesting situation going on. Um, I was trying to check out what their breakout player, players will look like, and none of them honestly look like they're SEC caliber guys. You know, uh, when we're talking about breakout players, you're talking about guys that are usually 6'7", 240, or 260 coming in as freshmen. Um, South, South Carolina does have a lot of players returning for their rivalry in which they have yet to beat Texas A&M. Um, but, you know, not a lot of them really show promise. Um, Jake Bentley is going to be a good quarterback for them, but their tight end that's coming back has been, you know, a tight end in the waiting. Uh, he's uh, Casey Crosby. He's only 6'1". It's not very tall for a tight end who, you know, you can't block as well, and it's harder to be a vertical threat when you're shorter or 
one inch above the corners. Um, their starting corner um, is a guy uh, who transferred from Texas A&M. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, a guy who probably wouldn't have started uh, at A&M is going to be starting at uh, South Carolina. Um, Nick and Nick Howard. Um, I just don't see a lot of the hype. Uh, a lot of the articles I read were talking about these guys. Like they have a six-one, two hundred forty-pound defensive end uh, that had a decent season last year and is looking to have a breakout season this year. That's just not big enough for an SEC defensive end. Uh, you know, I think the shortest guy I've seen in, on some of the championship readier teams that are ready to be their division are six three, six four. So, yeah, you can be pretty fast, but some of these linemen, you know, are, are getting pretty good to where they can just stop you in your tracks. So if um, I'm if I'm understanding, you know, uh, it looks relatively uh, easy at first. They got uh, Coastal Carolina and then going in straight into Georgia. I just don't see them winning that one, even with Jake Bentley. Um, I'm not sure how much talent he has around him that's going to rise up and help him out. Then they play Marshall, Vandy, Kentucky. Uh, Mizzou, I think Mizzou might actually beat them uh, with uh, Locke coming back. And then at A&M, at Tennessee, and they play Mississippi, Florida, and Clemson to end it. So uh, I think it's going to be a tough 7-5 and five season for these guys. Um, they're just not loading up as well as um, Georgia and Florida are uh, as far as talent goes. And uh, Will Muschamp's going to have to muster some pretty epic defenses uh, to win some of these games. Like I said, I think uh, they'll probably beat Kentucky and get a, a win there, but the rest of that division, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to match the talent, and South Carolina really isn't breaking away and really isn't isn't really recruiting the same classes that they used to and have the same talent around uh, to be able to, to, win, to win the East. I just don't see it. Well, of course, I don't see them challenging Georgia. Well, of course they're not recruiting well. No one wants to go to the state of South Carolina. Have you ever been there? Ah, I mean... I will really nice. Yeah, I was about to say that. How do you explain Clemson's recruiting? I wait. Is Clemson? Uh, I always considered Clemson in the north in North Carolina, but I don't know. That is by far the prettiest place I've ever been to in the state of South Car in South Carolina. I don't count Charleston. Charleston's for eighty year olds. I was in Myrtle Beach a couple weeks ago. It was kind of pretty. Uh, never been, so I can't... Myrtle Beach also spans into North Carolina. Yeah, but I was on the South Carolina side. Why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> I wouldn't pay for it. See, Tommy, you can... That's why. I, I, okay. do, I do feel like, Artem, that you're kind of overly bashing them, A, because they're small, and B, because you play them this year. That seems to be the really what you're down, with, down against them with. But, uh, I mean, you're probably right. I don't think they're going to win the East. I'm just not seeing, you know, for for these SEC teams, uh, you got to have size and you got to have speed, and you got to have it on both ends of the field, and they just don't. Uh, you know, for a team that's a heavy tight end reliance, if you're up and comer that's been in waiting and heir apparent after they had a tight end get drafted high, is a six one two forty guy. That's that's pretty short for a tight end. He's not, you know, he might be a little bit more successful this year, but I don't think he's going to make it like the to the NFL. All right. Which is the type of guy they need to. Well, uh, yeah, they probably need a better, more talent to get success. But where are they going to find that other than people who can't play at Texas A&M? 
Anyway, we're going to move on to the team I think we all can agree is going to win the SEC East. Tommy, you're talking about Mizzou. So why don't you bring us in here? I mean, they're my favorite. They're your favorite. What, what, what can we expect out of Mizzou this year? They're just going to dominate everybody. <laughs> well, uh, if you look at 2017 Mizzou, uh, when you say dominate everybody, you really mean only half the season. Because if you ignore their 1-5 start, uh, they finished really strong. Um, of course, you also have to ignore the fact that they lost to Texas in the bowl game, but um, that's a different case. And really, what's really weird is in the beginning of the season, you know, they scored more than 30 points in their first five straight games. No, I'm sorry. They gave up more than 30 points in every single game last year. Uh, so defense is clearly an issue for Missouri um, until you get to the second half where their defense held Florida, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, and Connecticut under 20 points. So it's just kind of like a complete flip of a team from, oh, my God, this team is garbage to, oh, my God, this team is going to beat everybody who comes in their path. Um, with... Uh, Josh Hopel, their offensive coordinator, going to UCF. Uh, and the hire of Derek Dooley, really interesting hire. Um, I think this is one that's gotten a lot more criticism than might necessarily be deserved. Um, I think Dooley's time at Tennessee really put a lot of bad taste in a lot of people's mouth. Um, but people need to realize, like, that's Tennessee and the fan base can be toxic if you're not Peyton Manning. Uh, so just kind of keep that in mind. He did okay with the Cowboys, but then again, like, what can you say about a coach for the Cowboys who has to work under Jerry Jones? Like, there's no way you can learn anything under him. Um, but that hire did actually keep Drew Locke there, as Artem mentioned, which will be good for them. Um, I'm not sold on Drew Locke, but Dooley is the Mizzou fan base is, and, and they have reason to be so. He he does have a lot of the physical um, attributes that you're looking for in uh, a good quarterback. Their offense has, you know, just about everybody that they need. They've got uh, a pair of running backs in uh, Crockett and Roundtree that should both be really, really solid and have a couple years' experience under them. Um they're returning 61 of their 65 starts on the offensive line um, and a line that was very good last year. Uh, so, look, they're going to score points. Um, so I, I wouldn't worry about that. The question will be the defense. They have a lot of talent there. Um, but uh, I, I don't think they necessarily have um, all the – Everything that they need, cornerback, uh, they, they've they got two guys in DeMarcus AC and Adam Sparks who um, they, they both kind of had up and down seasons, um, and they lost um, both their safeties, um, really one to graduation, one to spring suspension. So you look at a lot of secondary issues, which is where a lot of their issues were before. Um, luckily, they do get two guys back on the line from uh, knee injuries last year, so they should be able to pressure, but um, the big question from Mizzou 
when you start looking up and down the schedule is where are their wins? Well, UT Martin and Wyoming, they should be good to open. Uh, but then you have Purdue, Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama, and Memphis, which I could easily see them going 0-5 um, with a shot at beating Memphis and Purdue. Um, you've then got Kentucky, Florida, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, and Arkansas. Um, Vanderbilt and Arkansas, they should be able to win, but I would say Florida, especially at Florida, is going to be a loss. And Tennessee is at Tennessee, which I think um, could be have a huge impact on them. So um, I think 6-6 six and six would be considered good for them, uh, all things considered. Um, I think 5-7 and seven is a distinct possibility. Um, really the keys for them are those Purdue, Memphis, and Tennessee games. That's what's going to determine whether they go 8-4 and four or 5-7. and seven. Yeah, that Memphis game will be a shootout. It's kind of interesting with Mizzou. Their whole mentality since coming to the SEC has really been focused around the offense. It's still very much that Big 12 mentality, and that's not what you want to see when you're going up against teams like Alabama and Georgia who just thrive on shutting you down and then just grinding out the ball on the other side. So I'll be interested to see how Mizzou can uh, convert that. Of course, still my favorite pick. They'll probably lose to Bama, but uh, I'm obviously a lot higher on them than uh, Tommy is. So with that, we've covered everybody in the SEC East. Nothing else to look at there. Um, Andrew, I know you're on a diet, so this probably wasn't the most comfortable topic for you, but I'm going to let you get the hogs. So what can we Hey, ex- man. I can still eat pork. Wait, really? That's like the fattiest of all meats. Yeah, but it's so good, though. Speaking of, I had a fantastic pork belly confit when I was in Boston a couple weeks ago. It was delicious. Oh, yeah, don't you feel back special. To Arkansas. So they reached in and hired Chad Morris from SMU. Chad Morris being the former offensive coordinator at Clemson that brought in Deshaun Watson and really started to build that offense into what we know it to be today. He's an interesting hire. He's an Arkansas guy, I believe. And so bringing him in, even though he was 14 and 22 at SMU, he had made steps in the right direction and really somewhat tried to rebuild that program a little bit. And so it'll be interesting to see what he does. They've still got a quarterback battle. They do have Cole Kelly returning, who played a little bit last year at six foot seven, two hundred and sixty-three pounds. That's a that's a big old big old quarterback. I'm interested to see if Morris, who is part of that Gus Malzahn tree, if Kelly wins the job, how much of Cam Newton at Auburn we see in this offense? inverted veer quarterback power using the quarterback as a primary ball carrier just because you know with a big body guy like that with decent athleticism i think that's something you could see now there's some other options that might win the job including i believe john stephen jones who i think is jimmy jones grandson yep which, you know, I mean, obviously he's going to go to Arkansas. That's where Jimmy Jones went. And Jimmy Jimmy Jones actually won a national title at Arkansas as a player. So are you saying that his grandson is now automatically going to do the same thing? No. His grandson won the Texas State Championship this past year. So why didn't he go to Texas A&M, Artem? 
What was that? What? So why isn't he at Texas A&M? He's the Texas homer. He's undersized. He's like 5'10", 175. I think he was going to play lacrosse until Arkansas offered. Is this a Texas thing? Is this just like, if they're small, they don't deserve to play football? Is that what this is? Uh, anywhere but the uh, Chad Morris offense, who is, by the way, an Aggie born in Texas. Uh, okay. Andrew, do you want to finish? <laughs> the defense wasn't great last year, so, you know, you hope that they're kind of might get better. You know, they were third, second worst in the country at stuffing opponents behind the line on run plays. They only did it at 13.1% of run plays, which was second worst to Nebraska. They, you know, the schedule is tough, but it is possible. There's not a lot of room for error. There are six games they could win on the schedule, but I think six may be the ceiling. And again, that's that's a things going perfect and not having a lot of room for error. Okay, fair enough. Artem, I'm actually not sure who you're talking about now, so this is going to be a little bit of a surprise for me. Why don't you tell me who you got? So, I want to add to the Arkansas thing. I, I actually watched a little bit of their spring game, and as spring games are, you know, it's it's never perfect. But, man, that was rough to watch. Because, uh, like Andrew said, they have to change their whole offense, and their offensive linemen were bulked up, probably eating. Same thing, their pigs were in Arkansas for a long time, and now Chad Morris walks in and says, you guys got to get skinny because you're going to be coming out making blocks on screens. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not really on board with their defense either. They got our uh, A&M's uh, old defensive coordinator, who every third down did a double-A uh, gap blitz. Uh, which is very easily beatable if you got a tight end who's vertical. Um, so that's going to be fun to, to beat them for the next three or four years that Ch- Chad Morris is there. But, you know, hopefully he does a little bit on, on the offensive side I mean, to, to help him out. I mean, to be fair, that wouldn't really change much. They've been losing to y'all for the past, what, three years in a row now? Ever since uh, what's-his-face left and went to uh, Louisville once he got caught with this, uh, what's his name? Andrew Utah. Bobby Petrino. Petrino. Oh, yeah. He got caught with the, his mistress who also worked for the football team on a motorcycle. That was the last time we lost to Arkansas. Right before that. Um, but uh, I'm supposed to talk about Texas A&M. So let's move to that. Uh, it's definitely interesting. Um, also, I would say uh, a change that has to be made as far as offense. Uh, we kind of ran the same thing or something very close to what Chad Morris is running. Uh, spread offense, um, it's a little bit different uh, in the sense of uh, I think uh, Chad Morris has a little bit better concept than our old offensive coordinator had that pretty much used screen passes to horizontally stretch him and then the run. And every once in a while, he'll run three plays in a row for uh, they're all four verticals. But um, he's gone. So uh, now we got Jimbo, who is pretty much the offensive coordinator and the head coach and the quarterback's coach. Uh, we got Daryl Dickey uh, as the, the offensive coordinator officially. Uh, he's the one who led um, North Texas UNT to a few Sunbelt titles a while ago, and he's most recently known for being at uh, Memphis for about five years, um, where he steadily improved that offense to being number four in the country last year. So supposedly Jimbo and him talked, and they uh, a lot of the stuff he already was using that apparently he borrowed from Jimbo, but... They're going to add a little bit of the spread, add a little bit of tempo, but overall we needed to 
get our guys to be more more agile and more physical. So um, last year we played apparently what it was a uh, I don't know if it's a conference or a country record of 18 true freshmen on our roster. So we got a lot of talent coming back, um, and a lot of the guys that we picked up is we had a really good recruiting class that Jimbo finished up, and uh, I don't think any of those guys are going to break the two deep except for defensive end. So we got an experienced offensive line, um, experienced two quarterbacks that both played six or seven games last year, uh, wide receivers with games under their belt, and none of them are really you know Christian Kirk. So um, we'll be passing the ball around. We have uh, Mike Elko, who we got from Notre Dame as far as the defensive coordinator. So he's going to be very interesting to watch. He uh, apparently played against Jimbo for about three years when he was at Wake Forest and improved that team every single year. And then last year, he uh, efficiency-wise uh, put together uh, an improvement from like bottom, you know, eighty to top forty even. So. It's going to be interesting to see because there's a lot of positive news coming out of camp. Uh, guys are looking different because we've hired a knee strength and conditioning coach that's concentrating on them being muscle instead of just mass. Um, I'd say the main conversation around camp right now uh, is who's going to be the starting quarterback. Uh, we have Nick Starkle, who's more of a pocket passer. Um, had a couple 400-yard games last season, but he got hurt, and Nick uh, Kellen Mond came in. Um, he wasn't a very good or very accurate thrower. Uh, but he did hold Alabama, you know, 27-19, I think was the final. So um, there's a big quarterback battle looming there, and uh, apparently they're, they haven't decided on a starter yet. So um, it is, from what I can tell, a good situation, unlike LSU, who we'll talk about later. Uh, we haven't had anybody transfer uh, who is going to be in the 2 or 3 deep that is actually talented. Um and uh, our running back looks like he's going to be a thousand yard rusher and probably leave for the NFL this year. I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of depth. There's a lot of people playing this year who played last year and so, will be playing in a better system. And so you're basically uh, low. We'll you're low key saying that you're going to win the SEC. Is that what I'm getting out of this? I think the A and M fan base is hopeful for a eight four nine four season. Uh, and I think that'll be enough to kind of kickstart the program back up and get some more talent injected. Uh, Jimbo's already got the number three recruiting class in the country at this point in the year, which I'm sure is helped by the early deadline. But it's uh, it's looking like one of the best talent-wise, best defensive classes that we've ever had. So uh, A&M fans are very hopeful. I'm very hopeful. Uh, I think we'll be competitive in every game. We'll see how many we win. Apparently, Clemson game is already predicted as the trap upset game because it'll be the second game of the season, and they're hoping, or they're it's at Kyle Field, and they're hoping uh, Clemson won't have their ducks in a row yet. So, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. All right, well, speak. We're gonna go next to a team that is much like Tommy's internet connection, uh, kind of a wild card. It just you're never quite sure what you're gonna get with Auburn, so. Tommy was going to cover them. Right now he's gone. So I guess I'll pass it to you, Andrew, since you're next on the list. Do you think Gus Malzahn is getting disrespected? We talk about this a lot, how you're never quite sure what you're going to get out of Auburn. But it seems like uh, Gus Malzahn makes a ton out of this team, considering he has to recruit and constantly play against Bama year in and year out. 
Yeah, Maslow's an interesting guy. It's been really kind of interesting to see this past year with Jared Stidham, how he's refined his offense a little bit. The two, uh, both the national title team and then the team that lost to Florida State, uh, Cam Newton and Nick Marshall were much more athletic quarterbacks, much more used as primary ball carriers. Like I talked about with the Chad Morris one, you saw them run cute power. You saw them run inverted veer. You saw them as primary ball carriers, and Stidham last year really wasn't that. You know, that's not what he's good at. That's not what they're going to try to get him to do. And it was neat to kind of see that offense evolve a little bit. And I'm interested, Cody Burns, who played quarterback at Auburn, as well as one of his assistant coaches and one of his co-offensive coordinators. So it's interesting to see Burns' impact on that, as well as Kevin Steele, the D.C. I, I remember Kevin Steele at Clemson before Brett Venables came in, and maybe that's colored my opinion of it a little bit. But Steele was never that highly respected of a defensive coordinator in my mind. And so, but the big thing, like you said, is Auburn's one of those teams where we have no clue what we're going to get. They fly, you know, they they went ten and four last year after going eight and five, seven and six, eight and five, and then twelve and two in twenty thirteen. Malzahn was on the hot seat. Auburn fans wanted to get rid of him. And he comes back, you know, he wins 10 games and, you know, beats Alabama, but then, you know, loses to Georgia in the SEC title game and then loses to UCF. And so they've got a lot coming back. Again, like I said, Jared Stidham's back, the quarterback, so he doesn't really have a lot to learn there. And they can definitely lean on him to help some of the young skill position players. One of the wide receivers has to step up. You know, that's a really integral part of Malzahn's offense. He's a big screen guy, big run-pass option guy. That's going to play a role in it. The defense was pretty good last year. Um, they were one of the few teams to really close down a lot of Georgia's running game last year, which is something many, many teams struggled with. They, they've got a lot in the middle. Derek Brown, Dontavious Russell coming back. <laughs> they have a defensive end named Big Cat Bryant, which that's a fantastic name. What? That might be our so, new Fish Smithson. That might that would be a good one. <laughs> Wait, is that his? Is that his actual name or is that a nickname? That's, I'm pretty sure that's his name. What? Okay. His big cat. That's my new favorite one up there yeah. with. Uh, and not 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 only is his name Big Cat, but Big Cat wears the number one as a defensive end. I I'm for one love this new. Thing we've had with big old defensive linemen wearing single digit numbers I think it's fantastic though to be fair if you're a big defensive lineman and you're going to wear a single digit number you better be good I don't know I think he's also he probably played quarterback in uh, high school that's what I got out of that <laughs> also he's probably a I kicker mean, six, <laughs> like, you know 6'5", 224 you know, kind of lean but long the schedule it opens right out of the gate um, in Atlanta, in the Chick-fil-A kickoff, they get Washington. I think we kind of talked about this in our Pac-12 one. I think that's really a, a breakout game for whichever team wins that one. I think that'll kind of set the table for the rest of their season. I think if Auburn goes into that gets blown out, it's going to be a long year. You know, LSU week two, they have to go to Georgia and to Alabama and to Mississippi State. Those are going to be three really, really rough games on the road. And, again, like we said, Auburn, you hate picking Auburn because, hell, you never know what's going to happen. 
Yeah, I mean, there's just too much. I. It's the bane of my existence because every year I know they have to play Bama, and it's like they could have a three and nine year and they could still beat Bama. You just don't know with Auburn. It's so out of our depth. Uh, well, anyway, Andrew, you were already talking. Uh, I want you to cover my dark horse team this year, Mississippi State. I know you're all about the Klanga, so why don't you give us some. Uh, you better not have that. Clang, 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 clang. Yeah, I was about to say. I think, I think I was... one of the biggest things for Mississippi State, though, there is the change in coaching staffs. Joe Moorhead stepping in for Dan Mullen. Moorhead really made a name for himself at Penn State with Saquon Barkley and, and that. It's going to be interesting to me. They were definitely a team last year that leaned a lot more on Nick Fitzgerald's legs than they did on his arm. So I'm really interested to see how Moorhead tailors his offense. You know, Trace McSorley is a, a smaller, kind of more athletic quarterback. And Fitzgerald's more of a big body. Still pretty athletic kid, but, you know, 6'5", 6'6", big body, can run between the tackles. They've got a great running back in Aris Williams. So that's kind of their two main ball carriers coming back. A bunch of wide receivers, most of the offensive line, they – my question is going to be one of the big things Moorhead does is he throws a lot to his backside of the backfield. And I'm not sure if that was the scheme or Saquon Barkley. So it's going to be interesting to see how Aris Williams and the other running backs can adjust to some of that. The defense, the defensive line at Mississippi state may be the best defensive line in the group. That's not named club. I mean, between Montrez sweat, Jeffrey Simmons, both of those have chances to probably be first round picks next year is a, a great guard tackle combination they've got to replace all the linebackers they've got to replace some of the secondary they brought in bob shoot bob shoot's an interesting guy he he struggled the past couple of years at tennessee but was known to be a, a pretty good quarterback for his years at vanderbilt he's another james franklin guy with franklin at vanderbilt with franklin at penn state kind of made that penn state defense somewhat respectable you know, my other favorite thing is Bob Shoup is Yale-educated, so he's one of the smartest dudes out there. They do, in my mind, have to be kind of one of the dark horses just because everything that they've got coming back, I don't know how much of a beat they're going to miss on offense with Moorhead coming in. The schedule, they get Kentucky and Florida on the other side. Those are two really easy, winnable games. They have to go to Kentucky. They get Florida at home. Week two at Kansas State will be kind of fascinating. Uh, they have to go to Alabama, which is going to be a tough game. And then the Egg Bowl to end the year at Ole Miss, which you want to talk about just a fun game to watch where two teams truly hate each other. I love watching the Egg Bowl. I'm not sure what Again, the – I don't – the problem is anytime we talk about the West, I'm not sure how much we can say competing for the West because to me Alabama is still such a strong favorite. But, again, if you had to pick a dark horse, I think Mississippi State's probably going to be that dark horse. Well, I mean, do you think they're going to win 10 games, and do you think they're going to beat Texas A&M? Because that's all we care about, really. Uh, they get A&M in Starkville, and <sighs> 10 games is tough. You know, the only two games I see on the schedule that that worry me are Auburn and Alabama. Maybe LSU. I mean, A&M's going to be pretty good, too. But, again, that game's in Starkville. The Auburn game's in Starkville. I, I could see 10-2. and two. I mean, I think I think 10-2 and two is a perfect season. You know, that's one of those where everyone's happy about that. 
But uh, yeah, I think nine and three and eight and four, you know, you kind of regress a little bit, but it's still a good season for a program at Mississippi State that up until Dan Mullen had really not been that great of a program. All right. Well, Artem, I'm going to let you cover the last powerhouse in the West that uh, is named Alabama. Talking about LSU. So you're not huge on them this year, it sounded like, from what you said earlier. Yeah, you know, the more you look at LSU, if I was an LSU fan, I'd be worried. Um, ever since uh, Nick Saban won a national championship over there, uh, you know, they, they went. it's been downhill. They've been steadily getting less and less wins. They're steadily less challenging of a game for Alabama to beat them at. And, you know, you've gone from like nine to six games to now a blowout in the fourth quarter. And then the stuff that happened this offseason. Um, their offensive or defensive coordinator had, had almost been hired away. They had to give him more money and pretty much promising the, promising the keys to the kingdom, saying if Ed Orgeron messes up, we will put you up as the head coach as our first priority. Um, what followed was a mess with their offensive coordinator. So uh, the season before, in 2017, they hired uh, Matt Canada, um, who is, as Andrew has previously said in our podcast, a brilliant offensive coordinator and a uh, uh, just a mind of the you know new century, new offense. Um, he's adjusted to different types of things, and they didn't let him do anything he wanted. They said, you're going to do power run with fullback. If you have more than three wide receivers on the field, we have a problem. So LSU didn't do as well as everybody wanted them to do last year. Matt Canada gets blamed. He gets fired. Edward Drons, you know, too cool of a LSU guy to fire. So they go to several other possibilities who all say no. They say, we don't want to go there. And end up hiring uh, their, their second choice, I think, was uh, a guy named Steve um, Ensminger, who's at LSU, and he's the tight ends coach, and he says no. So they move on. They have a third option. That guy says no. They come back to it. their second option, like, hey, Steve, you play quarterback here. You were offensive coordinator for a couple games. Please come back and be offensive coordinator for us. And they get him for a bargain of $800,000, which is nothing for an offensive coordinator in the SEC. Um, and then I was wondering why. And they, they have this whole announcement, you know, hey, 2016 was the best offense they ever had. And he put all these records up. And if you look at these records, uh, four records total, total offense in an SEC game, uh, 634 yards versus Mizzou. Mizzou had garbage defense in 2016. Uh, second off uh, record is time of possession, same game, also Mizzou. Longest run from scrimmage, Darius Geis, who's now in the NFL, 96 yards. And then rushing yards in a game uh, set against A&M. Like we had a garbage defense who no like we I think we gave everybody their record for rushing yards that year, twenty sixteen. We had Miles Garrett and they said, Don't run to Miles Garrett, run down the middle or run to the right away from Miles Garrett. Well So it's So it's I troubling. wanna I wanna touch on this because it was also something I, I listened to I'm not sure Andrew if you listened to them too, but Podcast Ain't Play Nobody actually talked about this a lot this week on their podcast where Ed Orgeron's been forced into making a lot of these hires by the fan base. And it's kind of like you're saying where they're falling back on these trends of trying to pick up people who either did well by the school or have big names. And they're 
it's kind of the same thing with why they fired Les Miles. They're in such a big hurry to make a deal that they're pushing themselves out of good coaches. I mean, and that's kind of what you're getting at, isn't it, Artem? Yeah, and, you know, it's not a good look for them because our head coach afterwards came out and said, I didn't want to hire Matt Canda. Ed Orgeron came out and said, I didn't want to do this. I was forced to do this. So, you know, now you're looking bad. That's not a culture that you want. Um, kind of fast forward to what, last two days, last 24 hours, excuse me, uh, the running back or the quarterbacks they have on roster are Joe Barrow, who transferred from Ohio State, thinking he wasn't going to play there, uh, Justin McMillan, Miles Brennan, and Lowell Narcisse. And the four scholarship quarterbacks, two of them say they're going to transfer in the next year. Now you're turning into an A&M uh, locker room with someone, two five-star quarterbacks a couple years ago. We know how that ended up. So you know, I just they're not they're not uh they're not trending really well. I don't think their offense is going to be any better. I'm sure they're going to have a good defense this year again. If you look at their depth, it's four or five stars. But you know, if your offense can't stay on the field, they get tired, and no matter how good your defense is, they're going to be run all over. And by the end of the season, be injured and giving up a ton of points. And honestly, that's kind of where I see them heading. Uh, like Andrew said, you got a couple dark horses in the West and ready for breakout seasons. Um, so it's it's going to be a tough year for them. I don't think their offense is going to be very good um, just because it's going to be a lot of confusion. I think if one guy gets hurt, he's out. Um, and Joe Barrow is just not the type of quarterback that was meant to run an LSU offense. Uh, that was honestly a bad choice for him. I think they'll fire at Orgeron by the end of the season, and Dave Aranda is going to be either uh, given the, the starting job or he's going to be thinking about heading over to Texas Tech Court. That's his alma mater. Um yeah, it's just not looking good for them. They've also been in the last year and a half locked out of the state of Texas. They haven't gotten a top twenty recruit from Texas. Yeah, that's not a good look. Especially you, you need those recruits from Texas when you're in Louisiana. Uh, I don't know how to feel about them. We'll have to see what the future holds because it doesn't look good this year. All right, guys, we're down to the big two. I, I really, you know, my stance on this, Andrew. I don't want to talk about. Uh, Georgia, but I guess we have to. So I'll start off with you and then pass it off to Artem. Tell me about the Georgia problem, okay? Just go into it. Yeah, I I don't like good things to happen to Georgia. And they're definitely a program that is trending in an upwards direction. Their biggest questions are obviously going to be they lost a ton defensively. Roquan Smith is gone. Lorenzo Carter is gone. Some other defensive pieces. Malcolm Parrish is gone. But Georgia's always recruited well. Smart's taken that to a whole nother level, especially with last year's class. It was the number one class in the country, dethroning Alabama from like eight or nine straight number one classes. They, they lose Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle in the backfield, but to be fair, DeAndre Swift may be a better player than both of them. You know, and it's tough to say with the numbers they put up, but just in the small amount we saw Swift last year was insane. They signed Sayer White, the number one running back in the country, kid from state of North Carolina. You know, they signed <laughs> Demarcus Robinson, a five-star transfer from Cal, was declared eligible, so he's going to be able to play this year. You know, Georgia's a team like Alabama where the rich just keep getting richer. The biggest question is going to be the offense is going to have to carry the defense for the first couple of games. But, I mean, 
if Georgia's not undefeated going into LSU, I would be really, really surprised. They're they're just so much better than everyone in that division that I, I mean they shouldn't struggle. Well, and South Carolina maybe, Missouri maybe, but yeah, I mean pure talent wise, it shouldn't matter. Yeah, and I just want to throw that out there that like that mentality that they're that dominant. It's just going to make it all the sweeter when they lose to Missouri. I'm just saying. I mean, I mean, I would, I would love to lose Missouri and South Carolina, but I, I think the biggest, the funniest thing to me about Georgia is you keep seeing these articles about, oh, you know, is is Justin Fields going to beat Jake Fromm? No, <laughs> this isn't a Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence situation. Uh, Fromm played really, really well. He's a good player. He's got a good arm. Obviously, Fields with his legs brings another option to the table. It'll be interesting to see what Jim Chaney does in designing packages for him. Chaney's not really known as being a super inventive offensive coordinator or play caller, so I'm kind of intrigued to see what he tries to do with that. Um, I also need to correct myself from our ACC podcast. I incorrectly said that Trevor Lawrence was from Calhoun, Georgia. He's not. He's from Cartersville. Okay. Should I? <laughs> oh, no. It's... You know, I, like, I think for the majority of people, they're just going to be like, oh, no, he went from one nowhere place in Georgia to another nerve. <laughs> hey, look, our, our two fans that are Cartersville Purple Hurricanes have been writing us hate mail for two weeks, okay? We, we don't have any of those. We just have nine listeners in Sweden, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's because we it's because we have very strong hot takes on herrings. I hate herrings, man. They, I, they, they disgust me. Okay, Artem, I know you want to talk about how big Georgia is because you're just all about size. You want to talk about how big their D-line and how big their O-line is. Tell me about Georgia, Artem. You got me. Um, I don't think Jake Fromm is going to start all year. I think, first of all, their O-line is huge, and last year was the year that they had, quote-unquote, problems and concerns. This year, everybody's back, and they're bigger and faster and more experienced. But uh, I think Jake Fromm's going to get hurt on some crazy play, and I think Justin Fields is going to end up starting the rest of the season okay. and never give the job back. So so just um, to be clear, though, you're not saying that he's going to lose it because of his talent. You're lo- saying if he gets injured, he's getting yeah. replaced. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think he's going to get hurt, and he's going to sit out for a small extended period of time, and Justin Fields is not going to get, give that job back. I do also want to note that Andrew said that DeAndre Swift is their uh, starting running back, and he's amazing, as we saw last year, you know, because – only a couple of runs broke for 20-plus yards. I want to say that the third-string Georgia running back is the younger brother of Dalvin Cook. That's how good and deep their running back core is. This kid is good. Their, uh, their fourth string is Evander Holyfield's son. Oh, well, I thought... he's, ahead, he's ahead of James Cook. So he's third, I think. Actually, so fourth string is James Cook. Sorry. I had this chart him. Uh, I thought you were going to say it was... I thought I was going to say it was actually Evander Holyfield. I was like, that's terrifying. <laughs> I wouldn't want to go anywhere near him. They also have Nauta back as a tight end, and we all saw the connection Jake Fromm with him last, had with him last year. So I just don't see anybody coming close to beating them in the East. It's going to be a sweep, and then they're going to play whoever the hell wins the West, probably Bama. Uh, speaking of, uh, Artem, 
I'll start with you actually this time, Artem, because you've been having all kinds of hot takes. Whenever we have you on, you've got hot takes on the QB battles up and down. So, I mean, obviously, Bama's the dominant force. They've been the dominant force in college football this year. The big take over the summer has been about this QB battle between Jalen Hurts and uh, I'm just going to call him Tua because I don't want to make an ass out of myself. Tugavailoa. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just say it fast. Tugavailoa. I'm going to call him I'm going to call him T, okay? So Tugavailoa. No. No. Get out of my face. Artem, just tell us about I don't see him transferring. I don't see it. Because I think if Jalen Hurts was going to transfer, he would have already done it. And he hasn't. It's, you know, there's, what, a week of fall camp left? I think the kid knows he's not – he's in a shitty situation. I really think Tua's going to start – um, it'd be dumb of Saban not to. The kid did amazing in a national championship game, second half after barely having played all season. So I think he's going to start, I'll tell you that. But I also don't think Jalen Hurts is leaving because he knows he's one play away from playing. And he also knows he's not the best pocket passer. So wherever he's going to go, he's not going to get the same talent around it. I also he, – he had an interview, I think, two weeks ago where he pretty much came out and said, hey, uh, he was complaining, hey, nobody talked to me, nobody said anything. Uh, people went and talked to Tua, but nobody asked how I was feeling, which is kind of weird that he did that to begin with, but we hadn't heard from him since. Like, I, I think whatever was going on there, it's been fixed. I don't think he's leaving. He would have, If he was leaving, he would have already left. It's too late now. Okay, so, but Tua's got the job in your mind. You're just saying Jalen Hurts won't bail on them. Which... Yeah, I don't think he's leaving. I think Tua's got the job. He's not leaving. I think Damian Harris is going to run all, all over the SEC. Ah, scary. Well, I mean, and honestly, Andrew, we've had this conversation last year. I genuinely think Tua is a better quarterback because all Jalen Hurts is is a running back who can sometimes throw the ball. So, honestly, I'm I'm really happy that they've got him as a replacement because I feel like Tua is more dangerous. Do you agree with that logic? I think so. I think Tua's won the job. Everything that I've heard, read, seen, understood is that Tua's won the job. The question about Hurts to me is what he could possibly do is be the backup, play in less than four games, take a red shirt, graduate, and be a grad transfer and not have to sit out and have two years left to play. That's a good call. And to me, I think that may be what he's angling for because that's probably his best. Without having to sit out, being able to transfer to you know any big-time program that'll take him, and so that's kind of what I see him doing. Yeah, Harris, the Harrises, both Harris running backs that they have at Alabama are fantastic. So, you know, that'll be fun. I The biggest question to me is they don't return a lot of starters defensively, but Alabama, kind of like we talked about with Georgia, is a team that's just so good and recruits so well across the board. You know, Raekwon Davis is a grown-ass man. You know, 6'7", 308. That's a big dude. Yeah, Artem won't let us forget there are big dudes on that team. Uh. <laughs> I do want to say they play us week four, and the only better time to play them is the first three weeks. And like Andrew said, they have, they don't not, they're not doing a lot of time in the secondary, and their secondary coaches left, so... You know, they're going to be weak for the first six games of the seasons in the secondary, and that's where you got to hit them. I thought their um, secondary coach was Nick Saban. The 
I thought Nick Saban was their secondary coach. Uh, well, true, but uh, technically it was uh, what's his face that left to Tennessee, right? For Saban is just uh, the man in charge of everything. Yeah. With all that said, are y'all actually expecting them to be? Uh, I'm not gonna say bad. Uh, no. Well, but the thing about me, what's what's a bad Alabama defense instead of top five? You your top ten. <laughs> like, yeah, and I mean instead of the number one. Defensive efficiency, you're, you're number three. Well, and again, I don't think it's even bad. I think what people <laughs> – the word people are looking for is uh, attackable or um, abusable. Is Are there going to be openings? Because, like, that's really what no. everybody wants to know. I mean, Artem, you're playing them. You tell me. What what do you think? I think last year when we played 18 freshmen, we came close Tua kind of changes the game, um, but at the same time, he doesn't have a lot of experience. No matter how good he is, you can confuse him. We play him week four. I think I will say we have a chance of beating them. It's not a high percentage chance, but we can. I would, um, I would say y'all have got probably the best shot on the schedule. Um, no, I, I think Auburn does, just because they played them last, and by that time, Alabama usually has somebody hurt, and they always drop one game to somebody. So... I think worst case scenario for Bama, they lose to us and then they lose to Auburn. But I don't, you know, maybe maybe you see Mizzou beating them. But other than that, I don't know. I'm not seeing a lot of chop. Maybe Mississippi State to get a ten week, ten win streak. No, uh, you know Mississippi State's probably the second best on there. I don't see that happening with like LSU this year. Um, Auburn, I just don't know anything about Auburn. I'm never one to guess on that, but. Yeah, I mean, Louisville's not going to challenge them. Uh, probably not going to get any serious challenge from the other teams until the SEC championship. You know, an interesting thing I did here was uh, with the new rule that Andrew mentioned, uh, Saban has got another guy that's decent, Mag Jones. I think he's third string. He can literally play uh, all of those three quarterbacks four games this season and then pick which one he wants to start the playoffs if they make the playoffs. <laughs> and then still Richard too. I did see. Th- I saw that little conspiracy theory on uh, Reddit. Yeah, where he was going to potentially do that. Uh, I I don't see. I don't think it's realistic, but it is amusing to think about. Okay, guys, I'm really stretching the buy time for Tommy to get back to tell us about old Mrs. Mascot. But uh, um, go ahead, Andrew. I was going to say uh, Alabama actually currently has a commit from. Talia Tagovailoa to his younger brother. So we could be in for quite a few years of Tagovailoa as that quarterback at Alabama. Quite a few years of me not being able to pronounce names. I'm not looking forward to that. Oh, my gosh. So speaking speaking of that, Logan, did you see the Alabama message board post that asked about how Tua was dealing with the language barrier? I did. Yes. I did, and I'm I'm really sad to say that when I first saw it, I took it seriously, and then I felt like an asshole. <laughs> I was like, "Oh my god, why did I why did I take this seriously?" But yeah, no, I was shocked when I thought about that. Oh my gosh. Well, I do, uh, I'm reading an article here about uh, 
the new mascot for Ole Miss. So it's a shark. I don't know if you guys know that. It's, it's a land. Tony. It's a for land a, shark. For land shark. It, it is. It is technically a land shark. He's got feet. So it it's says like, one of the things on here. It made online rage farmers mad. An indication that Ole Miss is doing something right. You're just reading every day should be Saturday. That's all you're doing. Tony Tony is a shark that lives on the land and not a slavery-loving genocider who convinced poor white people to fight and die for rich white people's right to... Oh don't, you, don't you love Spencer Hall? <laughs> now you're just... Yeah, you are just directly... I, I'm, I'm honestly still mad that they didn't go with Admiral Akbar. No, that's what I'm saying. They are, techni- they are technically the rebels. Why? Ah, I, I don't know. I guess the land sharks now. So the funny thing is, uh, A and M fans were trolling them because um, I think the first year we played them, uh, one of our guys did the land shark move before it was like the popular thing that they would do every time they make made a good play on defense. The hand on the face or whatever. I don't even know if that's what it meant originally at that time, but they were like, "We started it for you guys," because uh... they did it mockingly back to us. Crickets. Literal crickets. I don't care. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I, thought, I thought the street sharks took the land shark thing first. Anyway. All right, guys. We're going to wrap it up real fast. So give me your conference championship picks and how many playoff spots we got coming out of the SEC this year. Artem, I'll start with you. Georgia. I think is going to make the playoff. Um, I think they're more likely than anybody else, honestly, because even if they drop a game, I don't think they'll lose a single game before the championship game. So if that's the only game they lose, I think they go. Um, And then I'm going to say either Mississippi State, A&M, or Alabama out of the West. Okay, yeah, you're just being as vague as possible on the West. It could be anybody. It could even be a boat. Uh. I will say... And be a land shark. I don't think it's going to be a land shark. I will take Mizzou versus Mississippi State with Mississippi State going to the playoff. And in that scenario, yes, only Mississippi State would make it to the playoff. Uh, just just to be an asshole. Okay, Andrew, on a more realistic note, who you got? As I say, I'm, I'm really boring. I mean, I think it's Alabama and Georgia... And unfortunately, I think Georgia wins the conference and makes the playoff. It's tough to call more than one playoff spot because I th- I think there are enough good teams in enough other places. You know, the biggest question being what happens at Ohio State with that whole shenanigans. But I I think I think Georgia wins the conference and I think Georgia makes the playoffs and I think we only get one SEC team. Yeah, I mean, when you're calling for multiple playoff spots, you're basically relying on either another team to just fuck up or some weird shenanigans to happen in the SEC. Yeah, you know, you're you're looking for two lost conference champions in other conferences, and you're looking for a team like in Alabama last year that only had one loss. Which, so. which happened to be two, you know, that weird cyclical thing where it's like, we lost to Auburn, and Auburn lost... And Auburn beat Georgia, and uh, yeah. Okay. But then Georgia beat Auburn when they played again. Yeah. And then UCF beat Auburn because UCF's the national champion. It's so fucking confusing. Anyway, <laughs> I, all right, uh, that'll wrap us up for tonight. Uh, thanks as always to our listeners. 
Uh, you can check us out at Twitter at Toe Meets Leather Podcast, and our you can check out our new email account. Uh, la- <laughs> I was going to say last podcast on the list. Uh, Toe Meets Leather Podcast at gmail.com. As always, thanks for listening, and good night, everybody.